Dead Headspace. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Ghana, and all other major platforms, which now includes Alexa. All you have to do is tell Alexa to play Dead Headspace podcast for the newest episode every Monday and Thursday. I'm your host, Patrick R. McDonough, joined always by my wicked awesome co-host, Brennan. That is for you two New Englanders. Say hi, Brennan. Hey. Great. And we are joined today by our second guest host, the lovely reviewer, Erica Robin. Hi, Erica. Hey. And today we're talking with author of way too many books to name. He's written for a lot of big publishers. Uh, Mr. Hunter Shea, how are you, sir? Hey. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I I felt there was a theme. I've been given the honor to ask the first question. So, Hunter, what got you into horror? You can blame my dad. Totally. Um, We grew up. I'm actually in the house where we grew up. I came back and now I'm here. Um, Back in the day, we were two blocks from a movie theater. And it was it had a balcony and it showed double features for like two bucks. So we were in the movies all the time. Like anytime a new movie came out, he'd take my hand. Hey, Exorcist is out. You want to come see it? Yeah, I'm five. That sounds like a fun night. Let's go. So we would see everything. There was no filter. He would take me to every R-rated movie. We had to drive in 15 minutes away and we were there. We would stay up and watch chiller theater i'm actually wearing a chiller theater shirt right now um chiller theater we would put aurora uh the monster model kits together in the kitchen and we would listen to like wfuv which is fordham university radio used to replay like the old serial radio shows like the shadow and stuff like that like i was completely surrounded by horror thanks to him so for better or for worse (laughs) it's dad's fault and it, it all came from film really it was growing up just seeing everything and being scared of nothing. Um, unlike my sister, who still has PTSD from everything she was exposed to <laughs> on celluloid. Um, and then as I got older, um, he started letting me read like Stephen King and H.P. Lovecraft when I was like nine or ten. And it, it just hasn't stopped. Like I tell him at one point, I said, Dad, I've lapped you. I'm now way <laughs> more into this than you were. <laughs> He's like, that's fine. I'm into wars now. <laughs> so, actually, I didn't know you were into Lovecraft. Um, at that young of an age, that's interesting because I first started reading him in my mid twenties, and I needed a dictionary with me, man. How how did you, as a kid, can you remember what you felt when you read one of his stories? Yeah, I used to feel like his stories were long. This <laughs> like, is taking forever. I don't. I'm not kind of sure what he's saying, but I'm just going to go with context here. Yeah. But the fact that I was reading it and it was like the, I don't know if you've seen them, they were black covers and they had like wicked, strange faces on these covers for this particular series that they reproduced. And I, it just, I felt like I was reading something forbidden and I had to jump over all my friends. So even if I didn't understand what was going on, it was just cool to read it, and I knew, well, this must be creepy. So Lovecraft, it, the writing was so strange and just so out of what I knew that the the writing itself scared me, not the story. 
<laughs> but their writing scared me more than anything I saw in a movie or on TV. It was it was strange. That's awesome. So on the note of movies, um, I've been following along your Twitter updates on your horror movie watchathon that you have going on. Um, do you oh, have yeah. any new to you favorites that you've watched? Just before we got on here, I said, all right, I said to my wife, all right, I got two hours. What are we going to watch? And we picked the new because I call October Horror-tober. So every October, I like clear the deck. I'm like, all right, I'm just going to watch horror movies till my eyes bleed. And I track them. And on Twitter, I, I post with my little quick one-line review. And I rate them at a whatever out of nine tana leaves, which, you know, the mummy needs to revive. And Ready or Not has just become one of those. I watched it, I think I saw it in the theater three times when it came out last year, which I never do as an adult. It's like one and done. I spent, you know, a hundred bucks at the movies. That's enough. But that one, I just, I love it. And we watch it again now. It's like, I enjoy a different aspect every time. Like this time, the the guy who plays the father, I'm like, his performance is brilliant. He's crazy. He's like totally off his nut. So love that. That's become one that we love. Um, Spring is another great movie. I don't know if you've ever seen Spring. No. It's it's a romance, really. But it's a guy who travels to Italy trying to get away from his life and here, has nowhere to go, doesn't know, you know what he's going to do there, and runs into this beautiful girl who has like this weird, dark mystery. I won't give it away, but it's a beautiful movie and creepy at times, too. And I, I suggest that for all the normies. Who want to <laughs> dip their toe in like the horror pool? Because you're really like, oh, and ninety-five percent of that is beautiful and romantic, and then that other five percent is monstery and bloody. That is <laughs> just to jump in super quick. I'm pinpointing one word that Hunter just said, normies, because I was just listening to the latest Inkeist podcast. Ian Laurel happened to Laurel Hightower happened to mention how uh, Jack Campisi uses that word often. And it just uh, cracks no. me up that you just, <laughs> did you was that you or him that started that? He he is my brother. <laughs> well, yeah, that's we separate the world between horror people and normies. You know, sometimes we'll associate with normies if we have to, but most times we like to hang out with our people. It makes sense because uh, and Brian and I have talked about this with guests that wave horror. If you talk just about a book or if you're a writer or whatever, and you're talking about hey, I love you this much. I'm going to dismantle your leg or whatever. <laughs> we like that. If other in a people, story. In a st- you do have to add in oh, a story. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, I meant in a story. Wink, <laughs> wink. Sure. But if someone heard you, and even if they're into horror and they just hear that, if they're walking by, I don't know what they're going to think. They're probably going to think they should call the cops. <laughs> <laughs> A good way to to single out go. How many black T-shirts do you have in your uh, in your closet? Uh, I can't see the wall anymore. It's just a big black pile of shit, man. <laughs> <laughs> and by shit, you like mean when shirts. I open my drawers, shirts. Yeah, shirts, shit shirts. <laughs> wink, wink. Shirts. When I open my drawer, I always I'm always looking at it, going, do I have any shirts that don't have like some kind of horror or movie logo? It's like I feel like I have the drawer of a twelve year old. Oh, but I love yeah. it. Yeah, 
I, I hear you. And I just looked down. I'm wearing a black shirt that says God books. <laughs> <laughs> it's, part, it's part of the culture. I guess so. And I'll accept that with a, a smile. Brennan, how will you take it away, sir? So, uh, yeah, let's let's jump back a little bit from uh, reading King and Lovecraft at the ripe old age of nine. So how does that kind of steer you into uh, wanting to tell your own stories? I'll tell you in the beginning, it didn't. Right. So it was I just wanted to watch things. I was young. I wasn't watching things. I was playing with ball. Um, but I turned 13 in 1980. That is, you couldn't have turned a teenager at a better time to become a horror fan than mm. then, because I it it just exploded, and then it went to Clive Barker, and I was reading Coots, who was relatively new at the time, and John Saul and Brian Lumley, and uh, just Phil Rickman, you know, as the decade went on, and all those movies. So by the time I got to high school. I was writing some really bad horror poetry, <laughs> just like terrible, but I thought it was so cool. Zombie moon part five, like anyone wanted part one um, <laughs> and terrible, like music lyrics and stuff. And then I remember <clears throat> on a typewriter, God, I'm old at a typewriter in the dining room and this paper, they used to call it onion paper. It was just weird super crinkly thin paper and i was writing these like post-apocalyptic stories with i think the the hero was a guy named nick of course it had to be nick i don't know thank god i threw all that stuff away um but you know in high school that's when i started kind of writing a little bit and then college came and there was the only writing i did was for a paper I mean, I at that time I was trying to I was studying to be in radio because I wanted to do like the behind the scenes stuff. And of course, everything I learned was over two years after I graduated because the world went digital and I learned analog. <laughs> so <laughs> I could cut some mean tape but when there was no more tape. I'm like, oh, that was a skill that was really great to learn for four years. <laughs> uh, and it wasn't until I got a job at the phone company which is, I don't suggest this for anybody. If, if if you're down and out and you've been out of work for like a year or two and a phone company offers you a job, stick to unemployment. You'll make it. You'll be fine. You don't need those scars. Um, but we had a awful, a terrible job that we all kind of banded together. It was like going through war. Like the people I worked with there, we are still friends 30 years later because of the hell we went through there <laughs> but my friend norm had this one job where we, for six months we did nothing which kind of sounds like a dream job but when you're doing nothing for eight hours a day you want to just shoot yourself but you had to show up on time you couldn't be a minute late you had to punch in and punch out for your lunch and then just sit at your desk waiting for that first call to come through and in that time i'm sitting next to norm and Norm is just, he's always typing. He's always doing something. I finally go, what the hell are you doing, man? He's like, oh, I'm writing a novel. I was like, what? And I said, you're writing a novel? That sounds cool. I want to do that. Just didn't you should. And literally, it was that little exchange that just started. It became a complete addiction for me. Once I started, I just, I, I can't stop now. 
and I hope I never do stop. But I have to thank Norm. I think at the time, I my belief was if you wrote, you were an English professor somewhere, like you just had a different career track than I had. Like I didn't think anybody could just pick up a computer or a pen, whatever, and write. Norm showed me that you could. I don't know if that's a compliment. No, we joke around. He's like, oh yeah, I'm so terrible. You thought I could, you could do it too. <laughs> and I say that when anyone says, oh, you inspired me to write. I'm like, of course I did, because you figure I could do better than this jerk. <laughs> Best compliment you can give a writer is, I read what you wrote, and I realize I can't do this. <laughs> Which, if like, if I met Robert McCammon, I'd be like, yeah, I don't know why I even bother. But thanks for making me feel small and just worthless every time I read your stuff. <laughs> Who wants to follow that up? <laughs> I, I had a job like that, and I only lasted for one summer in it. I think I had it for two months. And it was just – it was an office job where, you know, eight hours a day, clock right in at, say, 9 o'clock, clock right out at 5. And I think in an average day, I maybe had 15 minutes worth of wor actual work to do. And now I'm kicking myself for not trying to write a novel during that time. Instead, I read all of IMDb. Every single movie <laughs> fact I know to this day, I learned all in one summer. So um, See, I, I suppose my we didn't could have, have the internet. Time. I didn't have a norm. Yeah. Yeah. You needed a norm. I needed the internet. You know what we used to read? Cemetery Dance. Oh, okay. Get that. And just read that and sit in there and just. You know, whatever. And there were a lot of like little easy, not easings, but little zines everywhere. And we would just grab everything we could and just read those. Where did they sell those? those? good education. Like, was I it had, a newsstand? We could get them or... on the newsstand. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, we would go to Border, uh, not Border Books. Where would it go? Tower Records. That's <laughs> where we would go. Because Tower yeah, Records had a great magazine section. Everything you're listing off. Not our generation, meaning me, Erica, and Brennan, because we're all around the same age. But the next generation, they're going to say, what the fuck is he talking about? Oh, totally. Absolutely. I, my kids don't even know. And my kids are in their 20s, and they're like, what? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you don't know. They won't know borders. What a shame. What the, a terrible the, shame. The, the few stores that, when I was a little kid, said, I want to do that when I get older. They're all non-existent now, which is Surrogate City. Um, because from where I lived in Massachusetts, that's where I found – this is before, like, you – because when I was a kid, you didn't buy shit. At least for me, my cir inner, like circle of friends, you don't buy stuff on the internet because it's not trustworthy. At least that's how it was for a while. Right. And um, I went to Circuit City. They had all the slashers. They had all the Friday the 13th, all the – Nightmare on Elm Streets. So that's where I went. And I'm like, I want to be surrounded with these movies because DVDs are forever. <laughs> and, nope. <laughs> that's gone. Oh. Be and Best Buy and uh, the other one. Um, oh, God, I can't think of it. Uh, it's just all the stores I want. Oh, yeah, Blockbuster. <laughs> oh, Blockbuster. See, I never liked Blockbuster because we had a great local video store. And mm. I just wanted to support them. And they were cool because their horror section was – they were specializing in kid stuff, horror, and porn. <laughs> they were great at curating those three things. I feel like we should leave this story right there and move on. <laughs> <laughs> what a, never what a fantastic idea. <laughs> Erica, what about you and Jobs? <laughs> oh, my gosh. No, I, I lucked out. I mean I had definitely some – 
some crazy ones, but for the most part, I've had just desk jobs, <laughs> um, mostly marketing related. I did work customer service at a local food deli growing up as a teenager, and that got pretty crazy just with our summer crowd that would come in and just expect you to treat them like kings and queens. And it was just like, hey, sorry, I don't know who you are. You're just another person to me. So <laughs> I don't know what you're expecting. Um, but yeah, nothing. <laughs> I don't have anything too exciting. Sorry, guys. <laughs> That's OK. Can what I tell you guys? Marketing is uh, exciting. I, yeah. I worked in a company supporting market research for 16 years. So Ooh. I had great parties with those folks. <laughs> <laughs> Don't That's forget, fun. too, my, my story was about how my, my job was so boring that I, you know, tried to read the internet from front to back. <laughs> true, true. That's a big book. Still working ne- on it, right? I never really had a job like they that. They keep adding shit. <laughs> I never really had a job like that. Like, my current job, obviously, I don't write or anything unless it's on lunch break. Um then I was uh, I worked as a uh, driver's helper, as a teamster, delivering booster Massachusetts, so like you can't do anything then. You're in a truck or, you know, delivering alcohol. And um, some places in Boston aren't very nice, so you have to have one guy in the back of the truck to make sure the people in certain areas aren't looking at you to see when you're not looking at them so they can steal shit. <laughs> Every other job, like UPS, that fucking sucks. That place is hell to work for. I loaded trucks and, uh, in the worst hours of the day, in the a.m., no one's awake when I was asleep, vice versa. The people I worked with didn't speak English. I didn't read books back then, so I wanted to shoot myself there, Hunter. <laughs> Dude, I get it. I worked for UPS for the holiday help one year. Yeah. So you answer the ad, it says part-time. And I was like, oh, part-time? No, it's 10 a.m. To, to 10 p.m. every day. <laughs> Until your knees bust from going up and down that truck. Oh, I hated that job. Yeah, they're the worst. Um, pretty much when I worked there, I was warned by four guys I knew that worked there. They said, don't do it. And I needed money. I got hired part-time for Christmas. And uh, I got called back two weeks later. And then I got fired a week later because I wasn't fast enough to load three trucks when you could have four tires and to a fucking envelope and you have to peel stickers and put them in the right spot put in the right spot on a truck i'm like fuck you guys i get paid eight bucks an hour like blow me yeah <laughs> what did what did brown do for you <laughs> they, they shit on me is what they did. <laughs> made you jaded i was so happy when i quit that job because it was at a period where we just had our second baby my wife had won a sizable lawsuit and she said the phone company job that i hated that I hated for eight and a half years. She said, you can finally quit. And I did. And she says, just take a year off. And I got bored and I went to work for UPS and like <laughs> a month and a half. And I'm just like, no, nah, I'm not coming in anymore. Like, what do you mean you're not coming in? I'm like, I'm not coming in anymore. I'll drop the brown shit off to you tomorrow. <laughs> I want to enjoy Christmas. <laughs> Erica, so, take it away. Yeah, so speaking of quitting that job, whatever happened to that book you started writing while you were there? Did you ever finish it? Oh, I wrote a lot of short stories. I wrote a a vampire novella that is somewhere in this house. I just don't know where. (laughs) I'm kind of glad it's not anywhere I can find it. Um, And then I started writing, like, because I worked my way up. I said, let me do short stories. And when I think I'm not the worst, I'll try a novella. 
and then when I think I'm kind of muddling through a little better than before, I'll try a novel. My first full-length novel I wrote was a romantic comedy of all wow. things. But at the time, I didn't want to write horror till I thought it was good enough to write something that I revere so much. And um, at the time, my wife was deathly ill. Like we thought literally she, she was on life support for over a year at one point. So I got a lot of time home alone. And the last thing I want to do is go from real life horror to made up horror. So a friend of mine gave me, of all things, a David Sanborn CD. Like, I can't even imagine listening to David Sanborn. It's like elevator jazz music. And I would just put that in with this nice, soothing, soft jazz in the background. And I just get my brother word processor and just write this nice romantic comedy that was really heavy on comedy. And it just, it was my escape. And ever since then, writing has been my complete escape for real life things that I just don't want to face. You know, it's the way to get away. Yeah. Uh, real quick, let's just point out how awful jazz is, right, Brian? You know what I'm saying? Elevator jazz, agree totally. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Kenny G, yeah, fuck that is... guy. <laughs> well, Dave Sanborn, he, he was just very Kenny G esque. It was mm. at the time, though, I loved him. He was my favorite CD. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God I got over that. <laughs> So I know that you wrote for Sam Hain Leisure and you write for Flame Tree Press. Um, I know Don Dario was the editor back for all the first two and now with Flame Tree. Did you work with him at all three publishers, publishing houses? Yeah. Um, don't uh, anybody listening who wants to write, do not repeat this or try to replicate this particular path to publication. So <laughs> I was a big Leisure fan and i would they put out like two books a month i'd read them go to the store buy them read them and i could have gotten the mail order thing where they're delivered to you Mm. for less money but i didn't want to cheat like cheat leisure out of money like i was desperate like like my extra four bucks a month is going to keep them in business but that was my mentality and i realized that all of them were edited by this guy don and i'm like this guy don is a freaking god that he's bringing me Tim Levin and Brian Keene and Richard Lehman and just everybody. So after reading everything I could get my hands on, I wrote my first horror book and I sent it to him unagented and only him and just let it go. And I sat, he didn't respond to my query letter for like a year and a half. And then he said, oh, this looks pretty good. Can you send me 50 pages? I sent it to him. I didn't hear back for another year. And this, all this time, I'm not doing anything else. I'm just like, I'm just going to wait, see what happens. And then he says, oh, can you send me the whole manuscript? I sent it, and it must have been, it was like less than a year. And I'm figuring out, well, he didn't like it. I'm done. This was, it was fun. But, you know, I tried. Because if I couldn't work with him, I didn't want to work with anybody. And then I got an email at work, and he said, hey, this is Don Diaria from Leisure. Uh, want to sign you up for this book. And I'll never forget at work, I just, I read the email. I got up and everyone around me, what's wrong? And I just walked out the door and drove home. <laughs> it's like <laughs> one in the afternoon. Like I couldn't even speak. And I just got home and I said to my wife, uh, uh, we, we need to get champagne and call my parents. 
She's like, why? I'm like, I got a book deal. So it was from absolute euphoria. And then we're working out the contract and I get an agent because it's easy to get an agent when you have a book contract in your hand. Um, and leisure falls apart before I sign. Company goes out of business. I wanted to jump off a, a building. <laughs> it was devastating. So I took, we had already booked a trip to Horrifying Convention, which is now scares a care in Virginia Beach, is uh, not Virginia Beach, um, Williamsburg, Virginia. It's kind of what Horrifying was. And I go there and I talk to Brian Keene, who doesn't know me from Adam. And once he hears that Don had signed me up, he's like, dude, you'll be all right. It's fine. Like, he was being reaching out and he took me behind the table and we talked for a while and he said, go see Dallas over there. And it was Jack Ketchum. Yeah. And uh, I talked to him and he was like, he goes, just so cool, man. And he's got his little drink, his highball in his hand. He's like, Don thinks you're good. Someone else will think you're good too. Don't yeah. worry about it, man. And I started writing again right, right after we left that. And then, I just had to wait a while, and Don came up with Sam Hain, and he said, do you want to come along? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so I was part of the initial release, me and Ramsey Campbell. And it was so funny because when Flame Tree debuted their horror line, I guess Don was doing the same thing because Ramsey Campbell and I both were in the initial release of books there. But in between all this, one day I got a tattoo of the Sam Hain logo on my <laughs> arm. And I met Don down in the city for our, our favorite little bar for drinks. And I showed it to him. He's like, oh, that's really cool. He goes, I don't think I'd ever do that. I say, oh, man, I, I can't thank them enough. This is so great. I was on my like eighth book with them. The next day, Sam Hain went out of business. <laughs> Don said to me with Flame Trees, he goes, under no circumstances are you to get a tattoo of Flame Tree Press on your body. <laughs> I was like. I won't. I learned my lesson. It's all good. <laughs> That's hilarious. So when he went to Flame Tree, he he brought you along, obviously. Um, what I was that like? You can't leave me behind ever. So <laughs> that's a pact. I said, I was just, unfortunately, you're stuck with me to the day you stop editing or drop dead behind your desk. So just get used to it. It seems like yeah, he's stuck with you and Jans. Yes, Jans is my he's my buddy. It's so funny because we've come up together and we're always kind of tied at the hip. In fact, the Raven came out at the same time as Misfits, which I thought was nice. But we're like opposite. We're the same coin, but he's like the shiny head and I'm like the dirty tails. <laughs> he's just so polished and, and nice and just I call him Captain America. And I'm like, I'm like That's the Red fair. Skull, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Brenny, go ahead. I was just going to say, if Don ever leaves you behind, you just threaten to get a, a tattoo of whatever imprint he's working with next. <laughs> say, if, if I can't come with you, I'm taking you down with me. <laughs> That's right. I'll probably work for some romance novelist or something. Like, yeah, I'm going to put that on me. I'm going to put Don, Fabio on my arm. Real quick, I think Erica has something to say. Um, Don's a Jersey boy, isn't he? Yes. All you fucking guys hanging out together, which I feel like I can say because I've lived here for almost six years now. <laughs> Wait a second. I ain't Jersey. I'm the Bronx, man. Oh, <laughs> oh, my goodness. So you're a transplant right. like myself. We, we are 
We are New Yorkers, dude, through and through. My you sister's ain't... a Jersey person, though. Wait, is Don New Yorker, too? Ow. Oh, yeah. For I didn't know that. Time. Yeah, we're close enough so we can meet for drinks whenever we get really thirsty, although coronavirus has ruined everything, so yeah. we can't do that anymore. Erica, it uh, looked like you had a question. Yeah, so just talking about Flame Tree Press, that's how I first came across your work, because I was sent an arc of... Oh my gosh, I'm just totally blanked on the name of it. Slash. <laughs> um, oh, my book about Guns N' Roses. <laughs> I was hoping to trick some people to buy it. What the hell? <laughs> Who's the Wraith? Is that a new member? What the fuck? Where's his hat? <laughs> he replaced Buckethead. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine if the Wraith was coming at you and it was Axl Rose singing? <laughs> oh, I face the real one, I think. Erica, we derailed your question with stupid jokes. I'm so sorry. That's okay. Should I start that one over? Because I blanked the name, too, so that's embarrassing. That's all right. Take two. I blank the names of these things, too. I, uh, see, I just thought you were sitting back like, I'm going to wait for these idiots to stop, and then when they shut up, I'll ask a question. Oh, no. That's really rude to call Hunter an idiot. I don't oh, appreciate it. God, I'll be downstairs with my wife. <laughs> Cool. Um, so sorry, <laughs> just to jump back in with that question. Go ahead. Um, so with the ARC edition of Misfits, I was reading the cool Q&A that you guys have in the front cover, um, and you kind of talked about writing to horror soundtracks, and one of those soundtracks that you mentioned was It Follows. I was just curious to see if you had a favorite track from that soundtrack. Oh, my God. I guess... I think in terms of the movie, so when I listen to the soundtrack, as I'm writing, the movie's playing in my head. That very opening scene with the girl <laughs> running out of her house and you go, what, what the hell is she running from? Just that that slow build. And it's like you get the boom, you get that heavy bass and the slow build. And it's like, I'm just, gets my heart going, you know? And I got you got to match what you're listening to to what you're writing. So if you're trying to write like this kind of like, soft interplay you can't have like the van helsing soundtrack blasting in your head so <laughs> you got to pick and choose what you're going to listen to yeah totally that opening song i think it's called heels but i could be getting that wrong no, uh, i think you're right yeah i use that as a running song when well when i used to run <laughs> haven't ran in quite a while but that song is so creepy i read that little blurb from the book to my husband and he was like why would he do that to himself? That's terrifying. <laughs> I don't know. It kind of fits the mood for running. It's perfect because yeah. you're running from the venereal disease demon <laughs> that no one else can see. Um, right. <laughs> I used to also write to the Matrix soundtrack a lot. I so if I was doing like a lot of action and stuff, I'd be like, oh, yeah, let me put on the Matrix. That's kind of cool. The first one or are you just encompassing the, the trilogy? I had all three. Mm. I like I like nice. all three. I know they, the the second and third one get shit on, but we're talking about shit a lot. I feel like I'm saying shit a lot in this episode. Mm. Oh, you know, you're covered in it, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure where we go from there. So see you later. I, I thought you I, I thought you were headed somewhere. No, honestly, I thought him and Erica were going to talk. My apologies, Erica. Oh, do you no. have, I was just. I'm just sitting here waiting. <laughs> All right. So I, she brought up Slash. I was uh, interested to ask you something about it. I liked it. I thought that 
it was neat how you really focused on the uh, psychology of basically what we would call the final girl, final girl. It's weird because there is certainly a fine line between fiction horror and when there's these fans that are really – they're downright weird. And I think that they're not all there mentally because they can't differentiate between this person went through an actual horrible thing. They don't want to relive this. You are quite literally a fan of their suffering and you want their autograph for that. Like, what kind of sick fuck does that? But you really focus on that. And it reminded me of three characters off the top of my head. Alice Hardy from Friday the 13th, 1 and 2. Um, Nancy Thompson, Thompson um, from Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, a few of those. And m- the most recent one is Laurie Strode from the recent Halloween, which plays on the whole PTSD thing. I mean, that's what it is. I should have just said PTSD, but... I really like that because that's kind of, to me, it's not broken up in parts, but it was like the PTSD part was part one, and then you get into the gory stuff, and I'm not going to spoil it for anyone, but one scene that stuck in my mind had to do with uh, firefighters. Um, yeah, I, I'll keep yeah. it at that. I, I, I was like... I apologize to all firefighters. <laughs> It, it, it all the blood and just the scenes you describe people dying it, it felt new it felt like you reinvigorated a genre that i've loved since i was a 12 year old boy yeah i was this was kind of a challenge because i've always wanted to write a slasher but i'm like how do you do it because a slasher is such a visual thing you know mm. um so i wanted to get into the whole cult of final girls because we have we have cults of killers right how many crazy killers have people who want to marry them while they're in jail and worship them and wear their t-shirts it's it's sick so if there was such a thing if it happened in real life that there was a famous final girl the same twisted stuff is going to happen and i'm sorry if you live through something like that you're you're probably done you're cooked forever you're you're on i think you're unfixable um so i wanted to yeah, I wanted to start from just go from that starting point. So many people would go, so where, where's the where's the prequel? I'm like, there isn't. This is actually where it starts. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I just I wanted to get into just the pathos of what happens to a person who survives that, and everybody around them because that affects everyone who loves that person. Right. Um, so I wanted to start with that, but kind of stick to the tropes too. So you. It was it was a hard it was a really hard line to dance around because it's like I don't want to go too deep into the character building because slashers also have you know characters doing stupid things and maybe one or two people are like oh yeah that they're fodder but I didn't want to make it everybody fodder I want to at least have somebody have a connection with each of them mm. um, and it's funny you mentioned the. Uh, Final Girls, because the original Final Girl who starts this book off, Ashley, Ashley King, it's Ashley Lawrence from Hellraiser and Adrian King from Friday the 13th. That's how I got the name. Okay. <laughs> so um, I do a lot of stuff like that in books. No, that's neat. I appreciate that. That's kind of like a fun Easter egg. There was uh, one line, and it doesn't ruin anything, and I got to read it because uh, – 
It was unexpected, and it made me laugh, and also disgusting. <laughs> disgusted, I cannot speak. There were so many condom wrappers in the tiny room, they had practically formed a carpet. What? <laughs> I was actually drawing from experience of being younger and going through abandoned places around the Bronx and Westchester, and there was a particular abandoned house that I swear to God, there must have been a Roman orgy in there every Saturday night. Oh. So you go in there Sunday and it was like a carpet of rubbers and beer cans and one really horrendous mattress in the corner of the room. <laughs> and when we were young, we were like, smells funny in here. This place is gross. And we keep going back. And it's like when you got older, we're like, oh, that's what was on the floor. <laughs> we had no idea. And so one, do you want to burn your shoes? <laughs> Should have. One other thing I wanted to point out, and I'm not going to describe it because uh, it would ruin it, the story, was your description of the killer itself uh, the first time. And then when you read more about the killer, I'm just like, that's new. That's cool. I be shit in my pants. Again, shit. <laughs> I had no idea what the origin of that killer was going to be until I was 90% done with the book. <laughs> and it hit me. I said, oh, I got to go back. Like, I just kept writing. Like, I had such doubt because I wanted to make something familiar yet totally new. And as I'm writing, I'm like, just, just shut up. Just write the story. Write the story. You'll figure out the backstory. And I was like, almost done. I was like, oh, that's what he is. And I had to go back and rewrite a whole bunch of stuff. So it kind of made sense. But that's, I love writing off, you know, writing on the seat of your pants. I love just doing that because you discover so much weird stuff that you wouldn't if you just wrote this outline. And over the course of three to six months, you stick to that outline. I like just discovering. Things. I like writing myself into a corner. I love that where you write yourself and you go, oh, what the hell? I'll walk away for a couple of days. I'll smoke some cigars, go for a walk, go to work. It'll come to me. It, it inevitably does. And it's usually something you didn't think of that's better than what you where you thought you were going to go. And I think I said this on Ink Heist. If you don't know where the story's going, then your readers have no idea where the story's going. And that's the fun part. Yeah, I absolutely love that. And just another side comment about Slash, um, without giving away anything, uh, I just wanted to say that this is the first horror book that I've read that actually had me, like, kind of experiencing jump scares, which was really no interesting. No way. I've, I've only obviously ever had that happen during movies when, like, there's a lot of sound and lights and you're like, oh, okay, that wasn't actually scary, but just because it was so much in your face, like, that scared me. I was reading this book and I had to keep putting it down because I was just like, oh, my God, what is that's happening? Awesome. You, you just made my entire life because that's, <laughs> that's why I didn't want to write a slasher book. I resisted for years because that's the thing that you get from a movie. And I didn't really think a book can do that. And I'm so jaded. There's no horror book that can really get me to go like, oh, my God, or put it down. I'll read anything. Um, so if I could do that. To, if you're the only person on earth that did it too, that's George Bush, mission accomplished. I got to sign up. All is good. <laughs> yeah, it got me. <laughs> of all his of all the quotes you could have done by Bush, that's the one. <laughs> <laughs> that's the one I like to hang around. 
You could you could have just butchered a line like I do and just say that's either me or Bush. It works too. Um, <laughs> Brennan, you have... once. Look <laughs> at fooled again. <laughs> Brennan, you that, got any more? That is that is the one I would hope you would go with. That's a that's an absolute classic. Although I mean, it just all of a sudden it doesn't seem so bad for some reason. <laughs> no. It's... Kind of wishing for it, right? Then oh, shoes at presidents. I mean, that if that was the worst, you know. Yeah. Getting wistful for the days of thinking Cheney was almost in command. <laughs> I, you know what? I, I think that would have been better than this fucked up freak shit show. Shit, man. Gotcha. <laughs> you're bringing it out of me. I don't know why. What's, a, what's our shit tally at this point? I, you know 32. what? Thirty-two. We got to have a little ding every time I say or you say or one of us say shit. Put a dollar in the swear jar. (laughs) I don't carry cash on me, so that might not work. Oh, well. Me either. Actually, if it's cool with everybody, I'd I'd like to move to Misfits. Um, And I mostly want to talk about the Melonheads. Because that's such a unique cryptid, and it's one that I had not heard of at all before this. And I, I kept putting the book down to go down these internet rabbit holes. I was watching these videos of people driving down, you know, the local Dracula drives, and nothing happens in the videos, but it's still tense as hell because they're they're these secluded wood roads, um, you know, in in pitch black, and you're you're just constantly looking for something, but. I guess I'm curious about where the inspiration for that. Where what made you say this is a novel? I wanna I wanna write a full out book about this. Yeah, I was thinking I was trying to come up with I had I had the idea of I want to set a story in the 90s around these five kids. That was locked in my brain from the moment I started. But I'm like, well, what am I gonna? Who's who's the bad guy? And I thought of my friend Jack Campisi, my Monster Man brother, and I said. Let me get something that's like Connecticut based because he's from Connecticut. And I thought of the melon heads. And I remembered that when I was a kid in New York, we had, they called them melon, they either called them the melon heads or the killer albinos. It depended which older kid was trying to terrorize you. And they would live by this abandoned convent. And if you drove up this windy, dark road, and surrounded by trees, and if you went tried to go there, they would come running out of the woods with machetes and chase you out of there. And if you didn't run, they were going to kill you and eat you. So it was like, when I was a kid, that was terrifying. And melon heads are a bigger thing in like Connecticut and Michigan and Ohio. So they have very distinctive melon head stories, but they all kind of, they're all similar. And I said, all right, this is going to make Jack happy. I'm going to be happy. I get my my five misfit teens. Jack's going to be happy. He gets his misfit monster. Um, And now how do I blend these two? Like, what do I do with it? And so I started studying the melon heads as much as I could. What made me super happy is there's really no fiction about the melon heads. And I was like, oh, perfect. Like, that's what I did with the Montauk monster and the Dover demon. Like, I tried to find these legends or cryptids that people are not writing about just give a breath of fresh air, you know, cause if I'm reading, reading about these quote unquote, true stories of these monsters, I want to hear some fiction too, man. I want some fan fiction of these monsters. So 
that really gave me the boost to say, all right, this is I'm definitely sticking with the melon heads. And it's funny because you call them cryptids and everybody I know calls them cryptids. But cryptids is the study of animals. So they're mm. not they're people. They're just deformed, inbred, <laughs> scary people living in the woods, which, you know, there are certain areas I've been in the Pine Barrens. There are actual pineys who will fuck you up if you happen upon them. <laughs> so that, that stuff exists. Um, but I want, you know, I got to take it to the nth degree with the melon heads. Um, but it's, I love the fact that when people read that, they go, oh, the misfits are the kids. I'm like, yeah, they're not the melon heads. <laughs> <laughs> they're killers and strange, but they're not misfits. They belong in their society. <laughs> That's a very good point. And uh, yeah, also a very good point about the cryptids. I just kind of threw that out, but you're absolutely right. That's that's animals. Now, um, when I was kind of going down that rabbit hole, you, you said that for the most part, the versions in Michigan and Ohio and Connecticut are mostly similar, but there are a couple differences. Did you kind of completely base your version on Connecticut or did you just kind of pick and pull whatever interested you? Yeah, I was just... After a while, I was just going, all right, just forget all these origin stories. Just make your own. Um, but there was like some kernels of the other because the one thing is the mad doctor who was experimenting on people. And I th- God, it's been two years since I wrote the book. I think I do mention it briefly in the book. Um, but, yeah, I wanted to go with something kind of like the one of the, the uh, melange of the, of the legends, but my own kind of take on it. So I just, it's hard because you research so much and like, all right, erase it from your brain, start writing. But, you know, the subconscious like pokes little things in there every now and then. But that's fine. Um, and the other thing about um, cryptids, I was kind of curious, you know, b- before we dive back into this particular one, you you obviously have a big thing for them. You know, they make an appearance in so many of your books, although now I'm realizing again that – Melon heads don't count as cryptid, but you know what? I'm putting them in there just for this. You can <laughs> so call this it question. that. Everyone <laughs> just else so this does. question they makes Wikipedia sense. Does. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I did see that on there. Um, so, I mean, where does your history with, you know, the your your fascination with cryptids begin? Uh, Leonard Nimoy's In Search Of, straight up. I could, and probably everybody my age who likes this stuff. That's him and the Night Stalker, that show. That just inoculated us into this stuff um when i saw the bigfoot episode on in search of it scared me like no movies scares me but that show sometimes if they did like ghosts or Loch Ness monster bigfoot because in my head i'm going wait leonard nimoy doctor no not doctor mr spock is telling me this shit's real oh my god (laughs) i'm living in this world where this stuff is real so it really terrified me um in my little library they had like two books on bigfoot one on Loch Ness monster and i would take them out every month and just read them over and over and over because like i said i had no internet and you know we would go to other libraries i think in total for like 20 years i maybe read five books that's all i had access to but once the internet came along you just had everything and i was just devouring what i could i will show you something I know this doesn't work well on audio, but this is a plaster cast of the Patterson-Gimlin uh, footprint 
for Bigfoot, the famous video that they have. Filmed in New Jersey. (laughs) (laughs) My good pal Chris Sorensen sent that to me. Oh, Chris, he just messaged me today. Sorry, I'm going to plug him now. He just messaged me today talking about the Messy Man Book 3. That's right. The end of the Messy Man trilogy, unless he makes, you know, a seven book trilogy that a lot of people tend to do. You know, real side note, uh, when I moved to Jersey, I was really hoping I could, like, end up talking to a few Jersey horror writers. And there's a lot more than I ever imagined. And it's pretty awesome. Yeah, I'll hook you up. I feel like (laughs) I know most of them. Armand Uh, Rosamelli is probably the most uh, ridiculous of them all. Him and Frank. uh, (laughs) Him and Frank. Frank. um, Oh, Edler, 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 Tim yeah. Meyer, yeah. Chuck Buddha. That's uh-huh. a lot. Yeah. By the way, speaking of Jersey, when I was doing research for the Jersey Devil, I went, my brother-in-law and I went to the Pine Barrens mm. and we drove around and we explored stuff. We saw some weird things, some normal things. Uh, and I also went, I did a book signing down in the, um, uh, oh my God, it was right by where the Jersey Devil is in Egg. Egg Township, whatever that is. Egg Harbor Township. So anyway, yeah. So we were at a brewery there. Between those two trips, I would talk to people. Uh, I'm trying to talk about the Jersey Devil. All I got was Bigfoot reports from people. I was like, yeah, I was driving my ATV at night, and me and my brother-in-law, we, you know, we came across this thing that ran across. I mean, I was getting tons of Bigfoot reports from the Pine Barrens. So I think I need to write a book about that. Because I heard more of that than Jersey Devil. Uh, if it's yeah, man, if it's Egg Harbor Township, that's right near where I live. I didn't know it was that close. That's pretty cool. But wasn't the uh, Jersey Devil just a kid that had a physical? Um, I don't know what the right word is. Just was not physically the same as two legged, two armed people. Oh, no, he was the 13th cursed son of Mama Lee's who flew out of the womb, like flew around the room and he was deformed and went out the window. And <laughs> if you if you believe that he wasn't <laughs> right. a regular baby. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's almost impossible not to believe. But yeah, supposedly he was he was he was a monster from the beginning. Hmm. Yeah, that sounds like a yeah, definitely a believable story. Uh, yeah. Eric. Erica, you got another question for Misfits? Yeah, no, not about Misfits, but um, sorry to steer back to where you guys just were uh, talking about the Jersey Devil. Mm. I can't remember what the place was called, but when I was in New York for school, we ended up going to, I think it was an abandoned army training, something like that in Jersey, where they said the Jersey Devil like hung out in tunnels. Does that ring any bells Ooh. for you guys? No. <laughs> no. no. Oh, I okay. guarantee well, sort of, something was in those tunnels. Yeah, I don't know exactly what it was. I, I could probably Google it and find out more, but our friends took us there and we were just like going in all these underground tunnels and there were a lot of like really dangerous drop offs. So <laughs> not a good idea yeah. to be out there. And I'm pretty sure we were drinking at the time. But <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was bizarre. Well, that's the best and I didn't way know to do what the Jersey Devil was when we went out there. I was more afraid of the spiders that were all over the walls. <laughs> so. You should have been afraid of, like, the drug addicts in there who didn't want you around. Ooh, yeah, that's true. Hunter, kind of piggybacking off the whole idea of, uh, you know, you said you spent a lot of time reading books about the Loch Ness Monster and Bigfoot. 
are those your favorites or i mean do you have a cryptid that's maybe not quite as god i'm gonna say mainstream i don't know if i like that word choice but uh but, but do, you, do you have like a uh cryptid that the kids don't know is cool that you, that's your favorite well, my favorite cryptid and it's more like the whole story around this one is the mothman is that's crazy stuff the cool part is that it was we're, we're getting all this information from an actual reporter who was on site when it was happening down in west virginia right. so not only do you have this giant first of all he's not a moth but it's a weird name mothman i think a moth is like this paper thing thing that flits <laughs> around a light bulb uh, but you get this giant winged creature with glowing red eyes hanging out by the old, you know, um, what is it? The gunpowder uh, processing plants and stuff. But you also have men in black, black eyed kids, ghosts, UFOs, strange government people. I mean, it's like everything you could think of was happening in that town for one year. And that story, it chills me. I've. I have every version of the Mothman Prophecies book that you can have. And the best version for me is the audio book because there's just something about hearing that story told through your ear holes that <laughs> really brings it home to you. So that's my favorite. I, I am dying to write a Mothman book. I presented one to uh, my publisher at uh, Kensington, and we're thinking about how we're going to do this. I might. I, I kind of want to do a combination of the Night Stalker and the Mothman. If I could accomplish that, I might drop the mic and walk away. <laughs> <laughs> say, get out, everybody! I'm gonna go do archaeology or something for the rest of my life. That almost seems like it'd be a real tough one to do, though, because it's not just you know kind of more towards folklore and varying tales, but like you said, it it, it comes from a journalist, so it's a it's a little bit more close to being documented. Um, mm -hmm. So I mean, what you dropped a little on us, but like, what are what are some ways you could approach that? Well, there. That's the hardest part. It's, it's how do I do this, right? So there have been modern day so-called Mothman sightings in Chicago over the last few years, but it it has nothing close to the original story. So the decision is: do we do one that's happening back in the '60s, and it's from the point of view from of somebody else who's in town at that same time, or do we do a modern take on it? And instead, if you have your kind of like your Kolchak, well, in this case, your Kolchak is a podcaster who's going out to the town and maybe looking at going to the actual Mothman Festival that happens there every year. And maybe some weird stuff starts happening there. So we don't know whether to do past, present, haven't thought of future yet, uh, but I'll figure Why? it out somehow, some way. Why not all of them? All three. Because Seriously. then that's time travel, and I hate time travel. No, 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 it doesn't have to be. Oh, flashbacks? No, no, it could be, well, yeah. Yeah, it could be. Sorry, I'm pitching your own story, but I'm thinking <laughs> of me, one. If it's really good, I'll start writing it tonight. It's not, it's not, okay, so my, if I had to pick one favorite book that I've read in the last two years for horror I like Slash a whole lot, man, but it's going to be Sean Hamill's uh, A Cosmology of Monsters, and they incorporate 50 years. Have you read that? Yes. That's a great book. That would be how, if we're talking about this, just because you guys are talking about I want to throw that out there. 
that's how I'd approach it with a family or people that are connected somehow where it doesn't have to be flashbacks. It could just be a linear path. I, I'm just throwing that out there. Who knows? Hamill is a good fucking writer, man. I want that second book. Yeah, really. Let's break into his house. I'm sure it's on his computer. You know what? He's he's not too far. Like, you and me can hang out. We'll get cigars. You drink. I'll drive. And then we'll just break into his house tomorrow. It's all good. I like that idea. That's no you know, problem with that. A little B&E between go, friends. What could go wrong? This is all Not very good. damning. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Watch his house gets robbed like tomorrow, and now we're prime suspects. Would it be the first time for me? Hey, Eric, why don't you ask the next question? <laughs> well, kind of switching gears from from that, um, I have a couple of Halloween-related questions. Oh, um, yeah. And kind of jumping back to, again, movies, but do you have a favorite film you watch every year around Halloween? It's tough. We Well, look, towards the end of my crazy horror-tober, we always – John Carpenter's original Halloween is always in there, and Trick or Treat is there. That's like – that's a family favorite. Like, that's mm. where we all did that. I used to save It Follows for, like, Halloween night, but what happens is I'm so drunk – I fall asleep like I, I don't get to enjoy the movie. So because I have we have a really good time at Halloween because um, by our house, we get on average because we buy juice boxes uh, for the kids. We got on average 600 to 700 kids every wow. Halloween. Whoa. So it's like the kids are getting juice boxes. The adults are getting beer or wine or cigars. It's It's an all day, all night, just craziness. So like. By the end of the day, when I can watch a movie, I'm cooked. <laughs> just there, there ain't no watching anything past like ten minutes in. How um, I got a question for the other two on the note of trick or treaters because when I lived in Massachusetts, when I when I visited, well, my life, my wife lived in Providence for college. It's where I met her, um, and I spent time there on Halloween. And now in South Jersey, I've been in three different towns. I, all those areas, I've I've gotten maybe five kids. Uh, how about for you two, yeah. Erica and, and Brennan? Because like Hunter just said, like <laughs> an astronomical amount of people yeah. that I did not expect. Yeah, well, Patrick, crazy. that's a very personal question. Um, no, I we usually get. Um, All right, fine. How about you, Erica? Under- <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, Brennan. <laughs> I deserve that. Yeah. <laughs> Weirdo. Right, no, Erica, I lost my shot. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> no, answer. I'm only kidding. <laughs> now we're going to have a weird standoff. Yeah. And you caused this. Please answer. <laughs> okay. So we usually... We, <laughs> <laughs> we, we usually get um a little under 100 kids. And really that... Because, I mean, we're in, like, suburbia central. Um, Really, the only reason we get that many is because there's a there's a kind of a big like circular street a couple blocks over that's a uh, destination for some reason. Lots of people put uh, decorations up and uh, people come from out of town to go trick or treating there. But even that's significantly less than uh, than Hunter's output. But How about you, do, Erica? We have the destination block, so we've got houses mm-hmm. decorated like crazy. We don't go crazy with the decorations, but we're known as the juice box house. And the adults know it as, I can get a beer here. Yeah, I would think and that would be the big all draw. All the adults dress up, too, and it's it's craziness. 
Yeah, I love that. Trick-or-treating in my hometown used to be pretty big, but when I say pretty big, I mean, like, all, I don't know, maybe 60 people. Like, it wasn't very much. Um, My husband and I just bought a house last year, so this is going to be our second Halloween here. So I feel like last year people didn't really know what was going on. So I'm curious to see how many trick-or-treaters we get this year. But last year we only had three, I think, three groups. So I don't know what we're going to get this year. Between who knows what's going to happen with allowing kids and parents not wanting kids to do it. And they gave gave us this stupid rule. They said – Put just put a table outside and just put everything on the table so the kids will just pick up a treat. I'm like, so it protects them. I'm like, the kids don't just pick up one thing and their hands are all over everything. Mm, it's yeah. safer if I give it to you. Mm-hmm. Wearing gloves and I'm going to be wearing a mask anyway. I always do on Halloween, so mm. there we go. But this is like the best Halloween ever. Like it had all the potential. It's on a Saturday. It's a full moon, and we get an extra hour of sleep. Yeah. And COVID has ruined everything. (laughs) It's like, I have been cool with all the changes that coronavirus has brought to this country. I'm like, work from home, check. I'm fine with that. Can't go to any places. Good. I'm saving money. I'll wash my hands. I'll put a mask on. I don't care. But I can't go to Chiller Theater Convention and Halloween's getting ruined. Now I'm pissed. Like, I'm angry with the gods at this point. (laughs) The Halloween gods. Yeah. Damn it, this was supposed to be over by now. Although it does bring to light how much we, uh, I wouldn't even say how much we should have been washing our hands before because that makes me sound like an absolute slob. But basically how how much we should have been, you know, sanitizing and keeping our distance, you know, because I'm finding that I haven't gotten sick in eight months. It's It's been brilliant. Usually I'm, you know, usually I've, I've had like four, five, six colds in that period. That's very true. But now I'm worried, like, is our immune system just dormant? So now oh, when we do encounter a germ, we're done? Mm-hmm. Yep. Nope. That's the next step. It's terrifying <laughs> to think about. They're like, oh, yeah, 60,000 people died from the common cold in the last month. Like, I don't know where this is heading, which is why I don't want to write a post-apocalyptic horror book, because we're living in it. And who mm-hmm. wants to read <laughs> what you're sitting in right now? <laughs> That does bring up a good point. I don't know what show I heard it on, but someone did say eventually we do got to write about this. Because if you write about 2020, which someone will eventually, you're going to have to mention the biggest thing that affected the entire world. Oh, yeah. But it's going to have to be in hindsight when you're sitting comfortably in this new world that feels better. You know? Hunter, this whole world, I feel there's like lots of just horrible things in point. it. <laughs> do you do you write comics i haven't but uh it's funny because when we were watching ready or not i was i have been toying with this idea of writing like this kind of horror comedy like a ready or or not or something like that i don't know i i've got like six big book ideas right now circling over my head but in the month of october i take off i'm like i'm not gonna write a damn thing Oh wow! So I'm just like, just just hang out up there. I'll get to you November first. We'll see where we go from there. <laughs> Any correlation with Nano Rido Rimo? Nano Rimo? Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. Now I do have one Look, writing question. Oh, go ahead. I, I want to. Yeah, hear I mean, when I write, my goal is to get at least a thousand words a day. Mm. Try to do every day. If you do that in three months, you got your book and you're you're good to go. There's no real crazy pressure. 
But the NaNoWriMo, that's like, I don't know. That's too much. Yeah. Um, for your writing process, at any point, do you print out a, a copy, a physical copy, and cover that thing in red ink and then go back to transcribe that digitally? Or do you go use one or another? Yeah, I used to, but then I dropped my printer like mm. six years ago. And I was like, I just got lazy and didn't replace it. And after, and I was writing, I'm like, I can live without doing that. I can live without paper and ink. So it's just all on there. And, you know, I'll send it to beta readers. Like, I'll do my thing. I'll finish the first draft, let it sit for a while. Maybe do two more run-throughs. And then I'll give it to my beta readers. And I'll just say, just keep the track changes on it. And mark the damn thing up as much as you want. And we'll, we'll take it from there. How many do you usually have? Beta readers? Uh, usually like two. Mm. You know? Sometimes I'll have two that... Two, you know who make the best beta readers are horror reviewers. Because they read a lot of horror, they know it, and they know it works. That's, and they know it doesn't point. work. Yeah. You just have to find someone who's willing to tell you that your stuff is shit. <laughs> you know? I, no, I agree. Idea. I agree. The worst type of reviewer I had has the best intention, and they're ignorant to what works as a writer or or in the, the case you just mentioned a reviewer where they'll say this is great and they'll just kind of not say anything else it's like why they give it to you <laughs> <laughs> it's funny i had a, a beta reader and i gotta use him again um he works with jonathan jans and okay. he said hey i want to i'll beta read your book and it was creature and Creature, even though it sounds like it's right in line with the stuff that I write, it's like nothing else. It's basically the story of my wife and I hmm. with Creature in it. Um, and I gave it to him, and he he wrote back, and it was like I could feel the pain that he was feeling tell, being odd. But he was honest with me. He goes, I don't think your fans are going to like this book at all. It's too this. It's not enough of that. I just don't know. It just, it, it, he it, he had he didn't connect with it at all, and I was so appreciative. Like I could feel he was really nervous and devastated to have to go through that, but I was like smiling from ear to ear. I'm like, all right, that's what I need to hear. And then I submitted it anyway. <laughs> but it's been like my out of everything I've written, it's probably been my best reviewed book that I've written, and I've gotten emails and calls from people who suffer from autoimmune diseases people who are caregivers of sick people like that book has touched people in a way i didn't think it would and it actually cleared my head of a lot of shit that it collected up in there from being a caregiver for the last 28 years it just it was all out there and it's raw my wife cannot read it every time she gets 20 pages in she goes i don't want to read about us and then she'll be like why'd you say this I'm like, it's fiction, honey. It's fiction. <laughs> so it was like a little too. Uh, I, I got to admit, the first draft was so brutal. I'm like, yeah, that was I was too honest. Like I gave too many details of what it's like. You for both sides to of the death on the page. It was the, the look, I was sitting with Don Dioria in a bar and we're talking. He goes, yeah, you guys, I want you to be the first book we put out with Flame Tree. What do you want to do? And I say, this is what I want to do. And he just looks at me and goes, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, I mean, Don, I live this. Yeah, I know it. And he just all night long kept going, are you sure? Maybe think of something else. And when I was finally done, I was like, 
done. This this wasted me. Like I have nothing left in my body after this. He's like, yeah, that was my fear all along because <laughs> he knows my story. And he knew what that would do to me. But me, stupid me, I'm just thinking, yeah, well, I know it. It should take no time at all. I'm an idiot. <laughs> I, I like how your comment on that beta reader, you know, saying this is this is brutal and I don't think your uh, your readers are going to like it at all. I feel like that's the beta reader equivalent of that one star review that sells books, you know, comparing <laughs> beta readers to reviewers because it's, a, it, you know, know, it's like it's. It's hard to send that feedback, but at the same time, you said yes, exactly. That's what I absolutely wanted. You know, um, I I think I've talked to you maybe on on Twitter once or twice about this, but I have that book sitting on my shelf, and I have been just my, my wife suffers from an autoimmune disorder, and I know what that book's about, and I know what it's going to do to me, and I'm going to read it someday, but I haven't gotten there yet. Um, yeah, you have to be in the right frame. People take it different ways, but I think most feedback i got to like i'm not alone and nobody ever talks about this especially Hmm. in horror nobody they've never heard somebody like really lay it out from both sides of the person who suffers and the person who suffers alongside them so uh, all the time like uh my kids are like dad you should probably stop with that you're never going to get better than that one i'm like shut up I'm gonna keep writing. <laughs> this yeah, one's I don't about think... creatures with big heads. <laughs> yeah, but I got it for the for the beta reader that did that book. I have to write a more traditional Hunter Shea book and give it to him next time I go. Here you go. <laughs> this will did, hopefully make you feel a little more at ease. How'd you feel about it when all is said and done? How'd you feel about that book? Myself. Yeah. Uh, the tank was empty and I was glad I got it out. And I figured I got this great opportunity with Don at this new publisher. And I just shit the bed by doing the book <laughs> that nobody's going to like. I mean, look, as writers, we normally feel like we've just handed in a big steaming turd. It's just how you feel after a while. Um, but that one, I was just like, wow, what the hell was I thinking? Like, everybody's expecting this. And I give them this title and I just pull the rug out from under them and just do something entirely different. But it was kind of the goal. It's a new publisher. I want to try something that I haven't done before. But in the end, I'm so glad I did it because it helped me and it has helped so many other people. And it's helped me raise money for the Ehlers Danlos Foundation, which is one of the diseases my wife has. So for that alone, it was just, I'm so glad I did it. It was worth the pain. I don't really know what to say besides that's amazing that you can put that out there because, you know, you never know. Someone could be in your situation or your wife's situation say, I kind of needed that. That helped. Yeah. Anytime you have something of a platform and you're able to connect with people who do feel alone, I think that's huge. You know, so, I mean, good on you for being able to do that. It was somebody, a couple of people said. Thank you for giving me permission to hate my spouse every now and then. And it's because it happens. Yes. And it's you don't hate them. You just hate what they're going through. But at the time, you're not processing it correctly. And it just is just boiling hatred. And it's fine to feel that way because there's love overcomes the entire thing. But you can't be even keeled all the time. You have some days where you just 
you don't know whether to jump off a roof or go up on the roof with a rifle or sit down and meditate. And <laughs> it's <laughs> it's that the, sometimes it's hour by hour depending on what situation you're in. The three stages of uh, processing that situation. Yeah. Yeah. No, just that uh, that I was gonna say just that ability to to say I don't have to be you know perfectly even and calm all the time that it is okay to just walk away and like you know lock myself in my car and fucking scream for an hour. <laughs> yeah, like I had the main character. He does rage running. Like that's how he gets it out. Just running like a lunatic. Um, mine was just rage, like outside the house, just stupid stuff that. I'm lucky I didn't end up in handcuffs for some of the ways I was lashing out at people. But it's how I coped at the time, which is not the right way, boys and girls. There's better ways to do it. Go see a therapist, get some medication, clonopin. I highly suggest taking that for a while. Um, but before you know those – I was young. I mean when my wife got really sick, we were – I was 24. She was 22. Like what the hell did we know? Yeah, so it was really like, young growing up really fast and like i'll never forget when we brought her home she'd been in the hospital for the better part of a year and a half and she was hooked up in life support which is they put a port in your chest and all your feeding everything you're getting is through that and there's a big ass machine they bring in and the nurse comes in and he just show you oh so you do this tube and this needle and you flush this and you do this and you take this down you wind this through the machine and you hit this uh and just make sure if there's any bubbles anywhere she'll die instantly so just make sure there's no bubbles. Do you have any questions? <laughs> I was like, can you do it one more time? And like slower. I, like my hands, <laughs> when I first did it, I was just like shaking. I was like, I could kill my wife right now, who is unconscious, right? Oh, so Jesus. she's not even aware that I'm doing this. And so when I finished doing this, I got to watch her chest and I got to watch the tubes and stuff. But like after two months, I could do that blindfolded. I remember showing people like, oh, how do you do? I was like, I do this, do this, this, pop this hand. Here's a needle, pull it out. Boom. She's fine. Look, (laughs) but the beginning was terrifying. And worrying about the machine turning off and is the battery backup working? It's like there's so many fears that you have. It's crazy. I don't think I slept for four years. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I'm I'm only almost 32 and if I was going through that I'd be I'd probably be pretty angry. My brother almost died last year and he he's fine now. He couldn't speak properly. It was a freak accident. So I drove from South Jersey to that night I called my boss and barely said anything. I was like I got to go up to Boston, my brother might be dead, but I, I didn't say that calmly. And I I hear you on the rage thing, man. I know it's different situations, but just kind of my way to relate to it. And uh, I was just angry. I wanted to take my car and kill everyone. Yeah. I don't, I don't even care how that sounds. I was just so angry. My brother's four years younger than me. He was still in his 20s. Nice person. I'm like you're not going to take my best friend away from me, God, or who the fuck's in charge of this shitty life right now. Yeah. No, I I was, I had that moment where if anyone said anything to me that was sideways or looked at me weird, here we go. I'm going full on Jersey shore. (laughs) (laughs) That was my mindset too. Is like my wife's trying to calm me down. I'm driving. Probably bad idea. I will not lash out on my wife, but anyone else, I might. 
I might go to prison. <laughs> yeah. I had an incident with a bowling alley that was not pretty. I was like, oh, I think that guy was like 75. I'm not going to ask, he, man. I don't want to. For, he, for, he forgave me once he knew. He was telling me to put my cigar out in a smoky bowling alley. That was just. I was like, everyone here is smoking cigarettes. I can't see the bottom of the lane because of the smoke. I'm smoking a $10 cigar, and this is what has to go out? And he kept harassing me to the point that I was like, I shut him up, and I went home. (laughs) All right. So moving on to podcasts. (laughs) The scary thing was he was a family friend. From assault Mm. to podcasts. So here Here we go. go. So you got two podcasts, in case anyone doesn't know, and – We'll post the um, links on the ed- uh, the show notes for anyone that wants to get the easy, lazy way of going to their two shows, which is Final Guys and Monster Men. But before I ask about that, was this was there a podcast before it? You were talking earlier about radio, um, the behind the scenes stuff. Uh, is right. is that what was the um, pre-stage of podcasting for you was there another podcast before those two no it's when i got out of college i got an offer to work in a radio station that was paying me like nothing i'm like well i'm getting married i need a real job and that was like the end of the dream right um and then when i got my deal with leisure my friend jack he's like hey we should do like a because we just sit around a bar and talk horror all the time why don't we just film it and we, we could do like this thing called a video podcast. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, this is 10 years ago. Right. And he's like, it'll be a good thing. He goes, it'll help build your platform. I'm like, what? what's a platform? Like, <laughs> it's all this new stuff. And I'm like, I don't know. But I'm like, look, if you want to get to my house, we'll drink. And if you want to put a camera on us, that's fine. Let's just do that. So um, we just we said, we'll probably do a few episodes. It'll just help promote the book whenever the book comes out and it'll help build awareness of who you are so i got to really thank jack for that um and just and then, so everyone's you know, aware we we're talking about jack campisi right jack campisi right. my brother from another mother we grew up so close to each other and it was like he goes your life experience is terrifying <laughs> and i have no idea how we grew up practically together but he goes well, were you guys like a few Times hours Square away at 14 like 20 minutes holy shit so, yeah, yeah. I'm hanging out in condom-filled abandoned buildings. I'm in Times Square at 12 by myself when Times Square was gross. And he's going to Christian camp in Greenwich. <laughs> so very different. Um, but at the time when we were doing it, there was nobody. We hmm. couldn't find anybody doing like a video podcast on horror on YouTube. Um, I think Bloody Good Horror was out there, but they were audio. So we just have fun with it. And maybe we should have stopped years ago, but hell, now we have audio added. We're part of Project Entertainment Network, yep. and we're just having more fun than ever. So, And then um, him and I had both been on Jason Brandt's show, Drinking with Jason. <laughs> His concept was, I'll have horror writers on, and we'll get drunk. Like, whatever. His, he would always say, what are you drinking? I'll buy it myself and i'll drink the same thing with you and we'll get drunk and talk and after like 10 episodes he goes what the hell are you the only horror writer that drinks they all come drinking milk water he's like 
like, this is stupid. Nobody wants to drink the drum. <laughs> so that's why you don't see more episodes of that. But he wanted to do a podcast doing like movie reviews. And he was, you know, we, the three of us got along so well. We started Final Guys three years ago. And now we have the great Tim Meyer because, you know, his hair is so long and lush and lovely. Oh, I didn't know he joined you guys. I'm yeah. We, t- we brought him on when coronavirus first hit because we, he was like, I think you, I don't know if he was working at the time because of what had happened. We're like, dude, if you have the time, just come on and fill in for us. And I th- probably May, we were just like, just come on for good. You're the eye candy, you young upper <laughs> snapper. <laughs> He's pretty close to me. He's like an hour away, but I know that. I won't get into the details, but I know that he comes here for doctor visits um, in my where I live now. Uh, so I thought I that thought was going to stay in your house. Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> wink, wink, doctor. No, I'm not going to say that, actually. <laughs> doctor feel good here. Yeah, I, I don't know how Tim would feel about that. I mean, we talked, but I don't know if he'd uh, ever talk to me again if he's like, all right, uh, not going to see that guy. <laughs> I bet I know how to feel about it. Well, Just, I'll throw Turn your head and cough, Tim. Yeah, I'll throw some IPAs, man. <laughs> He's the one guy that I know that is that much into IPAs. Don't know. Who oh, I- yeah. Tim knows his IPA stuff. Um, so those two podcasts, um, is there any anything else on the horizon as far as that goes? Because uh, you just said that. Final Guys, I mean, Monster Man is now audio, which I'm glad it is because I get to listen to that on my uh, Apple podcast app, which it makes us happy because we can do longer shows because when you're doing video, we try to cap it like 30 minutes if we could. Mm-hmm. But now it's like, oh, we have audio. So now we can do hour, hour and a half if we want. It's cool. Why don't, why don't you tell us a little bit about what the shows are? Because I don't think we hit on that. Yeah, so Monster Men is just basically two dudes in a bar, a.k.a. my house, talking about horror. So, like, we might talk about vampires. We've done found footage horror, um, shark movies. Like, it's literally just like over eavesdropping on two guys just talking about (laughs) stuff that they love to do. Um, We have had, and we're going to have another one this year, a Thanksgiving episode where I made Jack the worst Thanksgiving dinner ever. And we ate it together and vomited together. <laughs> so, Jack, if you're listening, I'm going to the dollar store to get all our food this year. So it's going to be delicious. If you want um, um, some ingredients near me, there's a 79 cent store. That's the 79 name of- cents. Oh, wow. God. That's the name of the store, man. <laughs> oh, I just remember boiled peanuts in a can nearly made him hurl. And I... <laughs> almost lost it with Vienna sausages. They were just hideous. Um, We do pumpkin ale tasting, monster wine tasting, but we've also interviewed. So we interview authors. We've had um, Lyle Blackburn, the cryptozoologist, on a couple of episodes. We're going to have Ryan Sprague, the ufologist, on in an upcoming episode. So it's a little bit of everything. We just have a lot of fun with that. And anything goes. Like um, our last episode... (laughs) The, you you all are way too young to know who Paul Lind is or was, but he used to be on Hollywood Squares and Bewitched, and he was this comedian. I felt I felt sorry for the guy because he was a gay man living in a time when you couldn't be gay and could never admit it. 
and everybody in the 70s got a special at one point so he has a halloween special on amazon that is just screamingly funny for how bad it is and we just did a whole hour just dissecting that episode and laughing hysterically for the millennial crowd he's the uh he's the voice of templeton in the uh charlotte's web cartoon (laughs) erica just parked up oh i know that guy yeah (laughs) it's like we're soon now (laughs) yep (laughs) we're gonna have a halloween special Spot on. So yeah. So that show is just a little bit of whatever. And Final Guys is more we have a structure there. So it's like we talk about the horror news, then we go to all the movies, books that we've read or watched that last week, and then we focus on a particular movie and just review that uh, each week. So that's got a format. Jack and I, like I'm going to his house on Sunday. We're gonna do our annual Halloween episode. This is the first time we have been together in the same room since like february so hopefully we don't kill each other with <laughs> what might maybe we should get rapid tests before we meet but that'll be that'll be a lot of pumpkin ale drinking and i don't know what we're gonna do yet we'll figure it out maybe we'll just eat uh frankenberry cereal <laughs> i like that cereal um you know what man since you're talking about like interviewing all these people the cryptozoologist that came to mind for me have you heard the name lauren coleman Lauren Coleman is my buddy. He's got my books in his museum up in Portland. No, are we talking about the same guy? Yes, we are. Because, well, okay. Well, I asked because uh, I'm from a town called Bridgewater. Do you know where I'm going with this? The Bridgewater Triangle. <laughs> <laughs> oh now, yeah. Okay, I would love to hear your description of it, and then I got a quick story. I, you know what? I am not super familiar with the Bridgewater Triangle, so you, whatever I think of that area, I think of puckwudgies for some reason. <laughs> That's one of them. That's the I you love guys puckwudgies. Yeah. The, okay. So the Bridgewater Triangle is um, in southeastern Massachusetts, covers 200 square miles, uh, where it's basically a paranormal site from what's called the Grassman, it's just Sasquatch, basically, to the quote unquote devil, Thunderbirds, which are just massive fucking birds. Um, UFO sightings, snake, giant snakes that don't make sense, any sense that they would be in that area. There's been like some kind of um, sighting of black cats that sound like, um, what is that black cat in the jungle? I can't think of it at the moment. Uh, a panther, a panther. Black panther. Yeah. Um, there's just pretty much stuff that are strange and supernatural uh, happen in this one area. And the ghost sightings as well. Uh, Lauren Coleman came up with that term back in the 70s. Um, it's just it's interesting because they in that area too. Uh, the bloodiest war per capita is King Philip's War, which they uh, the uh, colonists named the chief of the Wampanoag Indians back then, King Philip. Um, and it was between the colonists and the Native Americans, as well as mixed, like there were some other tribal, uh, other tribes that were against the Wampanoags that fought with the colonists. So there's a lot of that shit that goes into it too. There's a lot of bloodshed and, uh, there's this one massive swamp called the Hockamock Swamp, which the Wampanoags called the, uh, I could be. I might not nail the exact phrase, but it's basically like the swamp of evil spirits. All that combined, 
lots of weird stuff happening. It, it's just interesting because there's supposed to be a show on FX about it. There's a docu- uh, documentary on it that's pretty interesting. And there's a lot to it. But the funny – I bring it up because you talk about cryptozoologists um, and Brennan on a show when we talked to Andy Cull, the uh, Australian author – who wrote a great book called Remains. Um, he knew about it. Brennan didn't, and that cracked me up. Brennan pointed out, he's like, <laughs> a guy, what, 6,000 miles, whatever it is, knows about this, and I don't, and I live <laughs> right next to it. That's funny. Well, you know, Lauren Coleman, I got to know him because I wrote the Montauk Monster book, and I I stay up by, I stay up in Maine all the time. I'm going there all my life. So I reached out to the museum and I started talking to him. I said, hey, can I do a book signing there? And he's like, oh, yeah. So when I get there, I meet him and he goes, you know, I gave that monster the name. I named it the Montauk Monster. And I'm thinking, oh, crap, is he going to sue me? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, he just led me into a trap. I'm screwed now. But no, he was super nice. And uh, I think I was doing the Jersey Devil book signing there, maybe. And I said, hey, what's a cryptid that nobody writes about? that you think there's something there. And he coined the Dover Demon. He was there when that happened in Massachusetts. Mm. And he was like, you should do the Dover Demon. And I was like, done. Uh, It's funny. He gave me his idea. And I was like, you stick to investigating the real things. I'll write the actual, I'll write the fiction. (laughs) But the cool thing is I was just interviewed for a special on the Dover Demon that will be on the Discovery Channel. I think it might be out next month. Oh, wow. Yeah. So uh, it's just this is like more than I could have ever imagined that as a kid who loved like Bigfoot on In Search Of now is known as the guy who writes about cryptids in fiction, who has met and befriended cryptozoologists who is now being interviewed on TV like I'm some kind of expert on the Dover Demon. <laughs> it's just you're, it's amazing. All that's amazing. It really is. And the fact that you're friends with Coleman, like for me, a guy that grew up in the town that that triangle's named after, that it has loved horror and the weird whatever for like ever, I am honestly really envious of that. That's so cool, man. Just the friendship with him. And the oh, thing- it's a treasure. He's such a nice guy. You should get if you guys get a chance. I don't know how much he's there anymore, but he was always at the museum and they moved them. Here's the best thing. They moved the museum to another part of Portland. It's beautiful. It's right next to the Bissell Brewing Company. Oh, nice. they had two years ago. They had a cryptozoology conference at the building across from that. So you've got. The conference there, and I'm there with Jeff Meldrum and all these people that I've watched on TV and talking to them. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to go check out the museum. I'm like, oh, wait, this brewery right over here? It was like between those, that was my Bridgewater Triangle. Brewery, Mm. Cryptozoology Museum, (laughs) Cryptozoology Conference. It was a fabulous day. I was glad I woke up at 2 in the morning to drive up there and get there in time for everything to open. That's amazing. Isn't the winery right there, too? Cellar door? I might be thinking of a different part of Portland. This is because he used to be like in the like the city, the, really like the city center of Portland. He was in this little weird side street that you like you would pass it a million times. Now he's more on the periphery. So he's kind of I think it's closer to the highway. Sure. So it's just a few things right over there. Oh, it was 
It's glorious. I would live there if I could. I'm in really the curious if like Stephen King has any interest in him. I'm sure he would have come up by now, but I mean they're both Maine in Maine, you know. So and they're, they're I both. should ask. Stephen King still goes to the town where we go to every year, and I've never seen him. And we knew he he go he used well they knocked it down, but there was a sandwich shop he always go to. His dentist is there, his barber is there, so. It was like this had to be like five years ago, five or six years ago. I'm there with my dad had just passed away. We took my mom away with us. And I said, I'm going out to get a haircut. I want to get my head shaved so I can swim and not worry about my hair. So my mother goes, hey, maybe you'll meet Stephen King. I'm like, yeah, yeah, see ya. So I go <laughs> and it's early. I didn't even know the barbershop was open. And as I go walking in, Stephen King is walking out. And it was the only time in my life I've been speechless. I just watched him. I was like, my mouth is like a fish. I have nothing to say. And he goes. So I go in and I'm numb. And there's the barber and guys like cleaning up and everything. And he goes, yeah, just take a seat. I'll be with you. I just had to cut the, I just had to cut this fella's hair for him. So I was like, uh huh. <laughs> so and he turns to me because he's look, he's looking around for something. And he turns to me. He goes, hey, do you know that guy who was here? I said, yeah, this is perfect Maine. He goes, do you have his phone number? <laughs> I was like, of Stephen King? No, I wish I did. He goes, well, he picked up his hat and he took my car keys with him. And he was driving to New York to win a Colbert show. <laughs> oh, my God. I was like, I don't have his number. He goes, ah, I was hoping you did. I'll just have to call my wife to give me the spare set of keys. He'll be back. <laughs> That was so main. Yeah, it's man. like he's Steve. Like, yeah, you go around that town and hey, where did Stephen King live? It doesn't matter. Who cares? Like, they don't care. <laughs> yeah. But there's a little bookstore there that he comes. He knows the owner and he'll come and he'll do his signing. And so many people come. They have to move it to the movie theater across the street. And that like sets the guy up for the like the quarter with the book sales and wow. he does it to help him out. And some, if you go in that bookstore, just pull every Stephen King book off the shelf. Cause he'll have signed copies in there that he wow. just sticks on the shelf and doesn't tell anybody about. <laughs> I never buy them though. Cause I figure if I get a signed Stephen King, I want to see him write his name and I want him to put it to me. So I'll wait my time. I'll get him eventually. I mean, that's just really neat. Yeah, that is, uh, that, that is a new England feel. Uh, Right there. Um, I so pretty much my second hometown is the Cape Cod. Uh, the area I grew up in is a small village, and uh, you wave at everyone, and you know you just you're friendly with everyone. Mm-hmm. It's where someone like Stephen King, I would imagine, would be most comfortable. You don't want to you don't want to be having people gawked and gawking at you the whole time. So I, I mean that makes sense that he's. Yeah, they don't even look at him twice when he's there, which is amazing. And I'd rather be there than here. Like, I'm a visitor there, and they're all nice to me. My neighbor's here. You just look at him, and it's like, ah, fuck you. (laughs) Yeah, fuck you, too. See you later. I was going to tell you somebody broke into your house last night, but whatever. You're on your own, buddy. (laughs) Man, I was born and raised in Maine, and I have never gone up to Bangor to see Stephen King's house. I really need to do that at some point. I know it's... yeah. not really his house. It's 
whatever he's turning it into now. But, I mean, just the gates out front are so cool. That's an awesome house. But I love the fact that that's the house where he writes in, like, the pantry. Mm -hmm. It's like, here, I have this beautiful house below me. I'm up here in this unfinished attic, and this is where I'm comfortable. It's not in the area where I have my full desk and all my stuff. It's like, I'm writing... This is this computer is on a artist easel. My uncle Alfred was an artist. He would do art like he was a painter, but he also did commercial art for advertising. The French's mustard, that flag, that was his greatest creation. Earned him so much money, he didn't know what to do with it. Oh shit! Yeah, so this is his easel. It's not even like a desk. I just have it flipped up so it's flat. But this is where I'm comfortable, surrounded by. You know, it'll be freezing in here in another month, but I don't care. Like I like it up here. I, I like the mustard. <laughs> I'm not sure what to say that. We hate that mustard. Do you really? <laughs> we call it we call it baby shit mustard. Oh, it looks like newborn baby crap. I like spicy brown. That's yellow weird stuff. Is ugh. yeah, that's disgusting. Now I'm thinking of baby shit. <laughs> <laughs> One. One more dollar in the swear jar. So, Hunter, did that barber give you a weird look when you uh, took a lock of Stephen King's hair and shoved it in your pocket? I am not going to kid you. I looked at that floor and was like, hmm. <laughs> it was tempting. <laughs> and then, like a schmuck, after I got my haircut, I stood outside that barbershop for an hour waiting for Stephen King to remember, oh, I have his keys. Let me bring him back. And after an hour, I'm like, He's not coming back. <laughs> he stole that guy's keys. <laughs> you know, I think we would all do the same. <laughs> not not steal the keys. Wait for Stephen King for an hour. <laughs> yeah. And I, I looked at the window and go, what are you going to say, man? It's like, like, I met George Romero once and I handed him a script, the original screenplay for Dawn of the Dead. That's not the movie at all. That one of the... the um, the nurse zombie and the escalator zombie sold to me at a conference years ago, just printed up on regular paper. And <laughs> I waited in line and George Romero, who's like a hero of mine. I had a great time with him where I, it was, he goes, he starts looking, he goes, where'd you get this? He goes, come around, sit with me, sit with me. The people on the line wanted to murder me. Cause like, dude, supposed to get your autograph and go. And he's, he's there reading and he's telling me about the stuff and why they couldn't shoot this scene. And, and I was so calm and cool with him. But Stephen King is the only person who's completely derailed me. And I probably will if he walked up in the, the stairs right now. I'd be like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Erica, why don't you take it away with the next question? Yeah, so kind of switching gears. What are you currently reading? I am, what am I reading right now? Oh, I'm reading um, The Only Good Indians by Stephen Graham Jones. Which I'm I'm reading it on my Kindle. I hate Kindles. It's so like I'm 10% in. I don't know what that means page wise. <laughs> That's where I am right now, and I'm, I'm completely sucked in. Um, this month I read some. I read Clown in a Cornfield by Adam Caesar. His mm. YA slasher. That was a ton of fun. We've got we're gonna get him on Monster Man too. We're working on getting him back. Nice. Um, and what was it? Oh, Chad Lutsky. The Pale White. Have any of you read that novella? Yes, absolutely. Ooh. Yeah, it's a good one. Two paragraphs in, I'm like, whoa, where is this going? (laughs) 
Yeah. It's it's rough because it's weird. It doesn't let up either. No, he did a really excellent job with that one. Yeah, it's, he's he's now going to become one of my go-tos. Nice. Um, Erica, what are you reading? I just finished Misfits like five minutes before we all jumped on this call. So currently nothing. <laughs> Did but, you see the ending coming? No, not at all. And I was standing in my kitchen, like kind of pacing back and forth between here, like waiting for Pat to start the call. And I was just like, wait, what? What is happening? That's perfect. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> I didn't know that ending either. When I wrote it, I'm like both sentences, I go, really? Yeah. <laughs> All right. I always think like, oh, when I read it back again, I'll probably change the ending. But most times I leave the ending. I change everything else but the endings for some reason. Hmm. Brendan. That's that's funny. I like that. <laughs> I can just imagine you reading, kind of rereading on your own ending, be like, Hunter, you sly devil, you. <laughs> <laughs> you did it again, subconscious. <laughs> you son of a bitch. You did it again. <laughs> um, I am reading, uh, and I'm probably going to mess up this name, but I'm going to try it anyway. Uh, Offstage Offerings by Priya Schreider. Uh, it's a it's a rewinder die book. It's I believe it's out end of October um, and I'm not really far enough into it to give you a good description of what it's about. But it's kind of uh, the, the trope it's taking on in this one in this, you know, recreation of a 90s VHS horror type theme is uh, um, kind of like a theater troupe, almost like a, a group of actors. Um, and in typical fashion for that series, the opening chapter just like absolutely reaches out and grabs you by the throat. It's there's eyeballs popping and there's it's it's good stuff. It actually reminded me a little bit of um of uh, Zachary Ashford's entry in that series, because that first chapter is just like, wow, you really kind of let us all have it at once, didn't you? <laughs> Wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am. Um, exactly. I am reading Writing in the Dark by Tim Wagner, and uh, we're going to be talking to him next week. I'm prepping for that, and it's – I feel like it's going to be a go-to. Like, often I hear Stephen King's on writing. Uh, I think Tim Wagner's book is going to be right by its side. Stephen King's on writing is a guy in a rocker telling you stories. Yeah. <laughs> Tim Wagner is a guy telling you, here's how you freaking do it. Fair. I wish I had that. He gave me a copy of that before it came out, and then we, we had him on Monster Men. And um, I was like, man, this could have saved me years of anguish and just stupid mistakes if I had this. <laughs> well, I was uh, going to say, you've got, you've got some advice in there. So, I mean, I would, I would hope you, you get a copy eventually. <laughs> the best part was I forgot. So as I'm reading, I go, oh, shit, I, I, I forgot I gave him something. <laughs> And the best part was everybody's giving these like really like thoughtful insights and, you know, advice. And I said something like, I don't know, shitting the bed or I was something like weird like that. I'm like, oh, yeah, well, there I am. Take me as I am. Take me or leave me. <laughs> where can people follow you and where can people follow your two shows? OK, you can follow my weirdness at huntershay.com. Everything, my blog's there. You can sign up for Patreon. My uh, links to uh, the podcast are there, all my books. Uh, but 
follow Monster Men. We're at the monstermen.net. We're on YouTube. We're everywhere you can hear us uh, in your ears. And same thing with Final Guys. We're finalguys.com, and we're, we do a live broadcast every Tuesday, so you can watch us muddle through this show live. Um, and then, or you can listen to us later or watch it later. Perfect. Um, and they are fun shows. I've listened to them. I, I enjoy them. You and Jack uh, Campisi have a fun relationship. You can tell that you guys are friends and uh, good friends at that. Brothers, if you will. It's all about laughter. If yeah. you can't laugh, what's the point? <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, might as well just say, all right, hanging my hat up. Uh, <laughs> Erica, you've been a fantastic guest host. We really appreciate you joining us tonight. Oh, yeah. Thank you guys for having me on. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you for classing up the joint, Erica. Thank yeah, you for you. Brennan. Uh, okay. And then Hunter. <laughs> <I'm just joking. laughs> Brennan, it's fair to say that some episodes you get the balls busted and uh, other episodes, uh, all f- you and two people on the show uh, gang up on me. So today was your ball busting time, and I appreciate you uh, taking it like a uh, good co-host. Anytime. And if we say Ken McKinley, we get him uh, We get him to pay us. So, Ken McKinley, $2 for us. Uh, Hunter Shea, thank you, sir. This has been a pleasure. We've been talking for almost two hours, and I've learned a lot. Um, I really love stories hearing about the days of uh, – I almost said leisure, but uh, it's the days of Sam Hain and leisure and what led to Flame Tree. Because I didn't know that, and I didn't know you were that close with Don Daria. Yeah, he's – He's become. It's funny. He was like a, an idol, and now he's now he's Don. He's my friend Don, who also that, edits books. That's really that's cool. Nice. Yeah, he's someone that I would love to talk to. Um, I can't even imagine the types of stories that that guy has. <laughs> I won't divulge any. <laughs> thank you, everyone. <laughs> everyone that has been listening, thank you so much for our new listeners through Ghana. India's largest streaming service with podcasts and music. We appreciate you. We have noticed that you are listening. So please reach out to us at Twitter. You can find us on dead underscore headspace. And uh, have a good day. We are in your mind. We are all around. You are now leaving. Dead headspace. You froze him. Unless he's faking it. <laughs> he is holding very still. <laughs> so, uh, Inkeist was not kidding when they said he does record in his attic. I was going to get a Larry Bird tattoo because he's my favorite athlete. Not his face. Oh, get his face. <laughs> <laughs> he is not a handsome man. <laughs> he has a 33 somewhere, but don't get his face. Yeah, would it, no, it would have been like oh, a uh, tattoo of Larry Bird's face. I was going to steal Brennan's question, but I can leave that to you. My question is all yours. Question oh, theft. No, I'm going to screw it up. You go for it. <laughs> oh, not even going to take the plunge. No. Nope. Right, well, fuck. Now I forgot what I was going to say. Um, Will Wheaton. <laughs> all right. Bye.